Hello and welcome to another episode of Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Jeff Kiplinger at Cohair Business Strategies. Hey, Jeff. Great to have you on the show. Hey, Roman. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. And just to, just to start off with, Jeff, it'd be great if you can tell the listeners a little bit about you, uh, you know, and, and, and what you do. Well, sure. I started my career uh, as a PhD uh, organic chemist with Pfizer back in the days when Pfizer was a relatively small company and uh, <laughs> left there after about 10 years when it got unwieldy and too large to be fun. I tried to do some entrepreneurial things. Some of them succeeded, some of them less so, and uh, did some consulting, worked for some smaller companies, got some things going with other groups of people. And finally, in 2007, I, uh, I started my own company, which is something that I had always wanted to do, a bricks-and-mortar contract research operation in uh, the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Worked on uh, that company for 10 or 11 years, sold it in 2016, and stayed for a couple of years under the new management before I left to put out my own shingle as a, a business strategy consultant and advisor. Very good. And I was going to ask you about your kind of route into the the kind of pharmaceutical sector, but you've managed to to answer that already. And I'm just kind of curious. I mean, one thing when you look at your your history, you you mentioned kind of you founded kind of several companies and you've tried different things. What is it within your, I suppose, DNA that excites you about you know, starting new enterprises? And, and you've, you've obviously managed to do it successfully where you've actually exited a business as well. So is there just something in your, uh, <laughs> in your blood about, uh, you know, starting businesses and actually in, in growing them? Yeah, actually, I think there is something to, um, you know, our basic behavior characteristics that contributes to this. My father was always kind of a, he was much better at climbing a corporate ladder than I was. And he worked as a pharmacologist and then ran clinical medicine for companies like Eli Lilly and Johnson & Johnson. And I didn't realize until I was really fully an adult that I had been competing with him for most of my life. And I think it's that competitive drive that's made me want to succeed. Whenever I get an idea that there's something that I might be able to do, I'm I'm naturally driven to try it. Now, that doesn't make me smart all the time. That doesn't mean everything succeeded. And that's that's why I usually kind of introduce my career by saying things like some things worked and some things didn't, because I think that willingness to beat your head against a wall until you figure out a formula is is part of it too mm-hmm. I, I, I love what you said there about you know some, some of it doesn't work and that leads me quite nicely on around you know I'm a, I'm a big one for sharing the kind of mistakes and learnings that I've, I've made uh, in my career and are there any particular um, I don't want to say mistakes because that's probably not the right word but um, you know learnings that you've had particularly when you started companies and and, and that type of thing and that that's you know, ultimately led to where you are today, like that lessons that you've taken from those early days that are now very much part of your uh, characteristic today. I, I guess I would say I'm, I'm still learning. I don't, I don't really think that I've um, figured it all out yet. One of the key things that I figured out when I started the contract research lab of Erica Discovery 
back in the mid 2000s was that I need to be comfortable with asking people a lot of really stupid questions because I was like, there's a lot that I don't know. So uh, once I made myself start to do that, it, it became remarkably easy to, to get information, to, to, to talk to people who were willing to share information, their own successes and their own failures as well. And I learned a tremendous amount from other people, whereas I had thought for years that I had to kind of figure it all out on my own. Yeah. So that was that was definitely a big inflection point. It's fascinating you say that, and I mean, I uh, on one another episode of the podcast, we we spoke to a senior leader at Pfizer, and and they they said almost an identical thing about you know asking the silly questions and be brave enough to ask the kind of the the dumb questions. So it's really fascinating that that's something that you've picked up and uh, taken on your career as well, which is which is great. And and you know the the kind of you know I look at you, Jeff, and I objectively look at you and say you know you you seem to have had a very successful career and I know it's obviously continuing down uh, kind of a new avenue now and what do you what do you attribute that success to and obviously you mentioned um, the influence of your father which is really fascinating is there anything else that that's kind of played a key role in 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 that success uh, kind of journey for yourself well, I think it's always come down to the support of other people. Like I say, uh, the willingness of other people to share their experience with me. Uh, you know, my my father's belief that uh, that he and I, uh, you know, had something that was similar that kind of kept us kept us pushing. My wife's belief in me when, uh, for example, the economy went bad in two thousand eight, and we were looking at serious cash flow problems there for a little while. So you know, there's there's that that willingness, I think, to be over the years, I've gotten better at it, but at least a little bit vulnerable with, yeah. with other people and, uh, you know, has, has really contributed to my way of seeing myself as more capable of success. That's great. That's great. And if, and if you could rewind the clock and go back to, to a 25-year-old Jeff, is there any advice that you would, or, or certainly what advice would you give that 25-year-old Jeff? Shut up and listen. <laughs> 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 oh god i would do exactly the same i'd probably go back till i was five years old and say that one rather than 25. <laughs> <laughs> and and for any um kind of leaders in the space who are who are leading teams or leading uh, companies in the in the kind of pharma and biotech supply chain are there any kind of pieces of advice that you would have for for those people like are kind of developing a career for themselves in the outsourcing space well the, the thing that i tell a lot of people that I'm working with that I learned over the years is exactly that, the need to be vulnerable, the need to actually be yourself, the need to recognize that you're, you're not creating some objectively excellent company. You're creating something that is a subjectively excellent company. It's based on what's inside you and and uh, it's based on your own value system. Uh, it's based on your ability to connect those values to other people. And if you if you can put that out there on the table, if you can be yourself in every conversation, you will succeed at at um, at the enterprise that you've set out to create. Oh, I love that. I think that's great, great advice. And and let me ask you, Jeff how how would your best friend describe you in three words? <laughs> Uh, you know, the way that I'd like to be described may not be the way that I would be described by everyone. 
you know, I could take that a couple of different directions, Roman. I, I would say uh, they could describe me as as pushy and demanding and competitive, or they could describe <laughs> me as as loyal and caring and and uh, and willing to keep trying. Probably a combination of all of those, I I, I suspect. And uh, so let's kind of um, actually. I was going to ask you about the kind of sector and stuff, but a couple of other questions I, I wanted to ask you and was just around um, before we came on air, you, you mentioned running as well. And I'm just kind of curious to know whether you've got any kind of ingrained habits or rituals or routines that you've, that you've done for years that have kind of, uh, kind of been part of your, your development and kind of to keep you sane. Well, I do a lot of cycling these days. I, I used to run, uh, but I don't think that my um, bones and my feet will quite take it anymore. I, I used to do triathlons, and I, I have a lot of osteoarthritis in my toes now from doing things like pushing off pool walls and uh, and pounding on the pavement. But uh, but cycling's pretty friendly to me, and uh, and I'm still pretty competitive at that for somebody in my age range. Very good. And when you say competitive, are you are you kind of cycling with within a team, or are you cycling at a club? And obviously, at the time of recording, we're in the midst of uh, the COVID nineteen uh, kind of spread across North America. So I, I'm, I imagine you're pretty limited at the minute. But in normal times, what does that what does that look like? Well, the easiest uh, thing is, I mean, I live in a relatively rural county in upstate New York now, and so I don't have the time to dedicate to becoming part of a cycling team. And I tended to um, race hard when I raced, and so I would crash a lot. Uh, my <laughs> wife doesn't like it when I end up in the hospital, so <laughs> to give it to her, I race against uh, set times on Strava. So, so uh, oh, okay. that's the kind of thing that I do. I just wanted to move on and talk about the sector. And obviously you've spent, um, you know, the, the entirety of your career kind of working within pharma, but specifically the contract kind of research space and contract manufacturing space. And I'm, I'm curious to know kind of what, how has the industry changed for you over that time? And are there any kind of trends and changes that you're seeing kind of going on right now? Well, I mean, thinking back over my whole career, there were a lot of changes. Uh, like I say, Pfizer was a smallish company. It was, I think, the 20th biggest pharmaceutical company in a pool of uh, 100 or, or more companies. By the time that I left, it was very close to being the number one company, which I think it still is now, uh, in a pool of about 10. So certainly, certainly things have changed a lot there. I was part of the technology explosion in the way that uh, pharmaceutical R&D was done back in the 90s, and that was a lot of fun. We contributed a lot of really interesting tools to the arsenal of trying to discover new drugs rapidly, uh, some of which I see being deployed today in the middle of the, the COVID-19 crisis in new ways. So that's been kind of gratifying. But at the same time, it created a process where the mind of the scientist was less important in um, in doing the work. And now pharmaceutical companies largely look at things in a, a numbers-based fashion that I'm not sure is producing the best clinically relevant drugs anymore. Now, that's an argument that goes on across the industry, and I'm not the only one that feels that way, and I'm not the only one that would be disagreed with. So yeah, That's interesting. So, yeah, lots of changes, uh, and certainly it, it became not for me after a while when I realized I was being increasingly uh, used as a very small cog in a big machine. Yeah, mm. and that brings me kind of quite nicely on to asking you, you know, what, what does your kind of current 
uh, role look like in the the business that you started uh, relatively recently? Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about what you're going to be doing now? Well, when I started Averica, you know, I rapidly found that my role was not going to be as a scientist anymore, but I still sort of prided myself on the experience base that I could bring to how we structured the company. Uh, But I learned a lot about running businesses uh, during that period of time, and I spent a lot of time advising other people. When I left uh, Averica, I started looking at two or three new companies that I could get started and uh, went a little ways into those, found sources of funding. Ultimately, things didn't work out with the team, those kinds of um, success slash failure type of ventures. What I ultimately realized I enjoyed doing was kind of giving people that were like me at various points in my career a leg up if I could. If there was anything that I knew that I could contribute, you know, I wanted to throw it into the mix. So um, I really enjoy working now with very young companies or companies that are maybe just have hit a point where they can no longer grow because, like me, for a long time, they were just leveraging the skills and the energy of their founder. And, uh, and you know, they needed to get bigger than that. I mean, I look at, I look at you as a great example of that, right? I mean, you, you built a company that was ultimately large enough that it was able to run itself and you could take off and, and move to the United States and develop a new market. I mean, that's pretty exciting. That must have seemed like a pretty exciting time for you to get the company to that level where you could do something like that. Oh, well, well thank you for that. It's very, very kind of you saying. And, and yeah, I was when you were talking there about the kind of growing pains of, of, of running a business and growing business, you know, I can absolutely, um, I, that really resonates with me because obviously we, you know, my business has been going for the best part of 11 years now and we've, we've hit and gone through a lot of those growth pains and actually the type of advice that you give to companies is, is invaluable. And I've been fortunate in, in remarketing journey that we've been able to access, uh, senior people that have been there and done that. So when you go through the challenges, um, you're able to just kind of get a sense of confidence that you can get through them and, and get to that next level. And, and ultimately, you know, the scaling of our business has come about by exactly what you said there of taking that leap of faith and actually, you know, putting someone in to effectively run the company. And that, to, you know, as you know, as a founder of businesses, that is a huge um responsibility you know it's the classic handing over the keys or handing over the baby almost to someone else and saying you know look after this and yeah it's been a it's been a a really fascinating uh, transition over the last uh, year or two but you know I look at what I work on now and even just doing this podcast and having the time to talk to people like you Jeff and actually just uh, follow some of my passions and actually bring some really good stuff to life and some of the ideas to life so that's the benefit It, it takes you away from doing all of the day-to-day stuff which i have to say you know by you know after 10 years that gets that gets quite hard (laughs) and uh, having having someone that's able to take that on and do a much better job at at it than you are you know you, you know you you talk really eloquently about you know when you're in business you you work out what you're good at and you work out what you're not good at and i I'm the guy you want when you want ideas and you want to, um, you know, try and bring something to life, but I'm not the best person to go ahead and implement a finance system, right? That's, that's why you don't want me anywhere near that type of thing. And so, <laughs> so it's, it is, it's fascinating to kind of recognize that, you know, I, I, it's really interesting seeing what you're doing now, because I think a lot of younger companies can really benefit from 
from the experience of people like yourself that have not over, not only um, uh, you know been through the good times, but you know you talked about the challenges. You know, and a lot of companies now, obviously, in the midst of what's going on globally, are going to really feel the pain in the next couple of years. And having people like yourself that have been through. Uh, you know, 2008, and even prior to that as well, back at, in 9/11. And I know these are this is a slightly different situation, but nevertheless, for business, there will be some comparisons and some lessons that can be learned. So, you know, I think what you're doing is is great. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Let me ask: Are they are the nature of the companies that you're helping? Are they are they specifically kind of within drug development, or have you kind of casted the net a little bit wider? And are you helping companies and and businesses that are in like different types of industries? Well, I mean, it's a great question because what I can see when I look at somebody's financials or their business plan or whatever is is kind of business agnostic to an extent, right? If I can understand what your business does and, and what you're trying to achieve, I can usually find some way to help. And so sometimes I just you know, dive in with um, a fellow entrepreneur out here in upstate New York uh, who runs, for example, a brewery. And, and, you know, maybe there's some way that I can help a little bit. But um, most of my network is still in the sciences. And I feel a really strong connection to and a lot of sympathy for scientists who are trying to do something entrepreneurial. I think it's tougher for us uh, as a group in a couple of different ways. One is that if you're, well, if you did what I did and you tried to get into contract research, the costs to get started are extremely high, right? I mean, we're talking about um, expensive scientific instrumentation in, in virtually any field. And in order to um, find funding for that, when you're not developing a commercial product and looking for outside investors, it's, it's tricky. It's uh, creating the value proposition and, and fine-tuning. It takes a lot of time. But moreover, scientists have such a tight curriculum when they're in a university, for example, uh, uh, you know, or postgraduate work. We never take a business class. I never took an accounting class. I didn't understand cash flow fully until I got involved in cash flow problems during the 2008-2009 recession. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a lot to be learned. Um, and uh, and I want to give the the opportunity to anybody like that. Uh, I want to do anything I can to give them the opportunity to succeed. I really think that the, this maybe goes deeper than we need to. Maybe it's too too uh, broad. But um, I think the the big corporate model that I've seen grow up, you know, in during my lifetime, where companies leverage supply chain, you know, bargaining down the supply chain when they, where they leverage contract workers, where they uh, leverage different small differences in tax rates between different uh, locales in order to, to maximize their profits. I have to think that after 75 years of that, they've taken every dollar out of the, that way of doing business that they possibly can. And that's why they're now the Pfizer's of the world, for example, are, are, doing most of their R&D outside of the company itself. So that says to me that the future of innovation, the future energy for most big industries is going to come from smaller companies. Oh, I think that's, that's a, 
sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I just thought I, I think you explained that really well, and yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, what I'd love to see is you know an entrepreneur like I was have enough energy left after they do the cycle of of uh, founding and then growing and then selling a company, have enough energy left to do another one. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's that to me is a wi- a big win. Yeah, that's, and that that's and, that, and that's achieve. what you're doing now, right? So that's I mean you are, you know, having having led a very entrepreneurial career um and you're still kind of going strong and in, in, in kind of now helping people and helping other businesses which i i just think is is fantastic and uh you know i encourage any any listeners that are uh, you know developing their businesses or you know looking for support i think you know I, i've been fortunate enough to get to know you jeff over the last few years and i would certainly recommend that they you know get in touch with you and uh, yeah see see if you can help and i had a couple of final questions before before we we end and you know, based on kind of back into the the sector, the kind of outsourcing space. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you could make one change to the sector that we operate in, what what would that be? One change to the contract research. Yeah. So, so and not just necessarily contract research, but you know, the the kind of global supply chain, the outsourcing space at large. Um, I suppose you know any any advancements or enhancements you can see that would make or even actually a culture shift or a paradigm shift shift of the way that the the, the sector operates um you know is there is there something in particular that comes to mind where it would be great if the sector just did this <laughs> did this better for instance well there's, there's so many things like like i was saying earlier it's so hard for these companies to get started um i don't know that in a you know in a tight financial e- economy like we saw in you know 2009 through really 2013 that it would be possible to found uh, a, and and bootstrap really a a contract research laboratory. So the only solution for people has been for the last few years has been to line up customer relationships ahead. And when you do that, you need to rely on the relationship being solid. You can't you can't do this with big pharma where uh, there are um, purchasing departments and and uh, so forth and people that handle supply chain and are always looking for the lowest price. So, so relationships are critical. Relationships mm-hmm. are everything. Um, without that, you have no customers and you can't raise any money at all. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah. So the ease of forming those relationships, the, the trust within the industry between those people that are developing commercial products and need the contract labs and the uh, contract laboratory founders to need to be able to trust that the sponsors on the other side of the check will be there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is critical to the whole thing keeping going because we're seeing now a, an environment where it's very difficult to found and be a small company, you know, and, and everyone that's any good is getting snapped up into uh, large uh, conglomerations of, uh, of different uh, types of service providers brought together into these one stop shopping kinds of uh, arrangements you know my my big question for the industry is is how do you start in that environment when when you can't find an exit until you hit five million in EBITDA for example mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a fascinating 
this question I have to say and it, it kind of parallels a few things that you've talked about which is uh, you know the barrier to entry first and foremost of starting say a contract research facility or a, a laboratory are so high and particularly here in, in North America the, the cost of running a facility is is astronomical so you have that first kind of barrier but then at the same time you know if, if you're any good at any if you're any good at that and then you make money then the chances are you're going to get snapped up it's quite uh it's quite the question because I think actually one of the things that I I see often coming out of these troubled times is a real sense of entrepreneurial entrepreneurship and, and new companies finding ways to you know get get through and I do think this is a sector that is uh, it makes it difficult for that uh, just because it it is highly regulated and it's high value and expensive to do business so it maybe limits um, it maybe limits that kind of entrepreneurial spirit to an extent. Um, other than maybe with the exception of technology, I mean, I certainly see um, kind of across the board, like a more and more tech companies coming into the sector that can offer software solutions that can make uh, many of these businesses um, much more efficient and, you know, you know, help with documentation transfer and things like that. And that's that's maybe a, a green shoot that we're, we're seeing at the minute. Yeah, I, I do think that there's a way forward. I mean, don't I don't want to be downbeat here. I, <laughs> I think that that um, if you can define really, really tightly your target customer based on what you're founding the company for, right? Every scientist has a very deep skill set, not a very broad skill set. We're all trained to do, you know, our our field really well, and that's what you're bringing to the table. So if you find people that benefit from you doing that work for them, if you and you can define that benefit and you can understand that benefit. And then you can get that message through working with groups like yours into the hands of that target customer. Then you can line up the relationships you're going to need to add value to to your company. And Jeff, you're, if you're you talking like that, a talking like a consummate marketing professional now. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> if you can do that part, which is not easy to do, and it's particularly difficult for scientists because I think we we have all of these self-limiting beliefs about how we talk about ourselves, for example, and that's a whole nother podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can do that well, then you can develop a business and you can convince banks and SBA lenders and so forth to give you enough money to get started. So, I love that. I it's, a, it's a very positive, upbeat, and uh, hopeful thought to to end end the show and i just one final question was just you know if you, is there anything else um any requests or anything any other comments that you'd like to share uh, with the audience uh, i don't have anything off of the top of my head is there anything else you'd like to hear from me i mean uh, i always enjoy talking with you because i think we have a a common background as entrepreneurs i think we, and we both got to that point where we were able to build a company out to where we were not the essential piece of it and that was the most exciting thing that uh, that i ever did with verica no and i i agree i mean it was one of the reasons that was uh, i was so keen to to get you on the show because a lot of the other guests that I'm um, interviewing are very, you know, very much in in kind of CDMO businesses, and they're in or they're in, uh, you know, CRO businesses, and at a very senior level. And I love the fact that you bring um, a slightly different view to the sector and a more entrepreneurial dri driven view, which I think always always uh, always chimes with me. So uh, yeah, well, thank you, thank you so much for making the time, Jeff. Uh, really, really appreciate it, and for for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me on.
again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.